Hello, and thank you for joining me, Ellis James, for another Big Lunch podcast where I invite guests for some food and a chat to try and inspire the country to get talking more. This podcast was recorded prior to the current advice on social distancing. Things are very different now, but the UK's annual Thanksgiving weekend for neighbours and communities will still take place this 6th and 7th of June in the form of the Big Virtual Lunch, so we hope you still find some of these cooking tips helpful. You can find out how to take part at thebiglunch.com. Today at my mini Big Lunch, I have Chef Mira Manek and psychotherapist Lucy Beresford. Thank you to you both for coming and joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, uh, on the menu, I've got a little selection of my favourite cakes, uh, which I'd love to offer you. Um, Fortunately, I didn't have time to bake anything myself, uh, so I bought you some um, French fancies, which I wasn't allowed as a kid. So as an adult... That Sorry, why were you not allowed them? What was wrong with because, them? Well, I mean, I was... Were they a bit too They're too, too sweet because they're very, very sugary. So I was allowed them sort of biannually. Um, <laughs> what a so, lovely treat. Yeah. So every every six months or so, so now as an adult, uh, I eat between 40 and 50 a week. So there you go. Uh, feel <laughs> free to help yourself. Um, now, the reason I've gone for cakes, though, is that home baking has been voted the most popular food to show others we care. So what do you think about that, Mira? Would that tally with your experience? I think so. I think baking is such a wonderful welcome welcome gift if someone's moved in or if someone's not going going through a lonely time or by themselves, you take a cake over. Um, it's such a, it's a sort of gesture of cosy, warmth, homely happiness. Yeah. Um, and family togetherness, I guess. Um, and there's something wonderful about baking. It's just the smell is so alluring. Um, the flavours, there's something so comforting about having that sugary sort of, <laughs> even though it's not that good for you, um, it's delicious to have with a cup of tea. So it's that sort of afternoon tea moment or yeah. something that just comforts you when you're not feeling that great. Also, um, most people, I think, when they were little, made cakes, maybe with a grandparent. I remember doing that as a kid. That's well, true. making cakes. I mean, I would add raisins. That was my, that was the f- extent of the baking I was... Uh, Vital so. ingredient, though. Oh, you, yeah. The, the cake would never have been the same without that. And then I would add the raisins and then I would tell everyone, I made this. <laughs> but that's a special thing. I think that's why cakes psychologically are so powerful, because as a child, you're taught that they're a treat. You know, you, you make a cake for someone's birthday and you make a cake for Christmas and things like that. And also, as you say, if granny comes over, then you get to help to ice the little fairy cakes yeah and it suddenly feels like something very special so when and also as you said it's not something that you're meant to have every single day uh, and therefore when it does come out when somebody has made a cake for you that's like a double psychological bonus because they they're giving you a real special special moment yeah licking the spoon yeah i think as a child i just remember making flapjacks and helping my aunt make the batter and then licking that batter and I just loved flapjacks so any cake sale that came up I'd be like on to the flapjacks yeah and um, I just loved baking it was just brought me such joy I'm going to tell you about a very interesting piece of research that the big lunch conducted and they found home baking was voted the most popular food to show others we care uh, in at number two the roast dinner which I think oh. is quite complicated Mm. Would you agree? Am I just being... I'm vegetarian, so... (laughs) Okay, so what's your version? My version would be, so during Christmas and things, I I do roasted vegetables, lots of parsnips and carrots and swede and um, sweet potato, all mixed up, but with lots of spices, lots of cumin. 
a bit of garam masala. So it just sort of spices things and enhances it. Um, and a little bit of honey as well, which also gives it that sort of Christmassy tinge ah. and a bit of cinnamon. So it's delicious. And then and then I do a nut roast. Oh, yeah. Um, and and then potatoes, which are baby potatoes with some rosemary um, and a bit crispy with um, semolina and bake them in the oven. And then just lots of different versions of baked vegetables and lentils. Oh, God, that sounds absolutely amazing. So I've never done a roast dinner, a nat full-on roast, in yeah. you know, the traditional way. Um, but it does sound complicated, yes. It sounds like a long process anyway. Yeah, but I mean... But that's the joy of it sometimes, is that you just bung it in the oven and forget about it for true an hour or three, go for a walk, particularly on a Sunday, and then you come back and the house, again, is full of these amazing smells. I love the idea of like rosemary with potatoes. That's just a perfect combination. Mm. Maybe scattering some garlic cloves around the exactly. potatoes, which will then get all lovely and melty. And, and that's I love great. eating those garlic cloves as well. Absolutely. Once they're, once they're exactly. Roasted. Nicely caramelized. Yeah. Um, I think a roast, I always think a roast meal is only complicated right at the end when you're pulling everything together and trying to make sure that everything is ready at the same time. But there are no hard and fast rules. You take the meat out. You let it rest, you make the gravy. It's all its all very doable. And again, the key thing about all of these recipes and all of the experiences that we're having around food is we, we must try and get away from this idea that it's got to be perfect, that there is the perfect roast lunch out there or the perfect um, meal. Because actually what's really important is the coming togetherness of it all. And therefore it doesn't really matter whether the roast potatoes were a little bit later than the rest of the <laughs> food or maybe you forgot the, put, to put the peas on and they've, they're going to take an extra five minutes or something. Cake baking is a bit different, isn't it? Because it's very scientific, the alchemy of of the the fats and the carbohydrate and things like that. It, it, it has to be precise ingredient measurements. But even then, you know, you like a flapjack is the perfect thing to cook really because you just keep adding more oats and syrup and yeah and if it's a little bit you know crunchy it doesn't really matter exactly if you've overdone it then they're a little bit more crunchy that is true i've never gone around to somebody's house and if the carrots are on my plate two minutes after everything else i've never sort of held on to that and driving home thinking well that that was that ruined we're never going again <laughs> never go what an idiot um so second was roast dinner and third a special family recipe so it's the third um, best way to show people that we care i um i love those recipes especially the, the older they are the further back you're going the more i don't know there's just something so uh, comforting about thinking that you know previous generations of your family were we're making things. Have you got recipes that yes. go back, you know, further than your grandparents? Absolutely, yes. Oh, wow. So it's amazing because our family actually came through the Uganda route. So we're from originally from Gujarat, but then my grandparents were sort of, my grandfather at least, was born and brought up in Uganda. Um, and my father's from Uganda. And then they all came to the UK. So they've sort of never really been back properly. Um, and it's amazing now to have grown up eating all this very authentic, flavorful food, not realizing how authentic it is until I've gone back to India, eaten in the villages of India and realized that it's literally to the tea. And my grandmother's cooking is so perfectly Gujarati that actually the recipes that from generations ago they brought from India to Africa and now to London have stayed um, the same. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, that translates to 
traditions and culture and also and language as well. Um, but they brought this package, the suitcase filled with lots of recipes and um, spice box and everything. And they sort of unpacked it in Uganda, then packed it up again, brought it to London. And it's amazing when you actually try all this food, because I sort of went abroad, lived abroad and didn't really miss this food. And now when I eat it, it's like a big hug. It sort of reminds me of what I grew up eating, the joy it brought me. And also when I go to India and I try the same food and it tastes the same, it's it's that same joy. It's reminiscent of those travels, but it's also reminiscent of childhood. So where were you born? Here in London. Oh, right. Okay. But what I mean is that during those travels, I, do, I yeah. used to travel a lot to India and I still do. But it's reminiscent of those those years when I traveled in, in the villages yeah. of India and, and tried all this food and didn't it didn't quite occur to me that there's something amazing about the fact that the food that I have in London at home is very similar to the food in those villages in India. And it's only now that I think about it that it dawns on me that there is that it's incredible that these flavours and the tastes and the curries and the dals are pretty much exactly the same. Do you speak Gujarati? Yes, I do, yeah. Um, do you speak it with a different accent because you were brought up in London? Um, people say when I go to India, people sort of can tell I'm from London because they can tell it's not not with that sort of authentic Gujarati accent. But I think I'm pretty, I mean, most people in India also say I'm pretty good at it because I grew up with my grandparents yeah. and I still converse with them like I was with them on, two days ago and I was speaking to them in Gujarati. So it is still good. But yeah, I have an accent. Yeah, cause my, my, um, I speak Welsh to my daughter, but she's really? b- born in South London, so she speaks Welsh back to me in a South London accent. That's so <laughs> That's funny. I'd, I'd never heard before. She's inventing something new. Um, but uh, so you, you know, you're from a from a big family, and you know, there's this tradition of handing down recipes. Is that a, is that a thing that's sort of peculiar to? you know, Uganda and where you sort of... No, not at all. It is it is very... Um, it's it's a lot of Indians, you know, the, the sort of recipes are handed down um, just because you learn how to cook it and because you're brought up eating curries and dals, you get used to it. So you want to recreate those flavours when you grow up. So you learn them. Um, but I didn't learn them. I actually grew up knowing these flavours but not really learning them. So I'd go to university when my friends would, you know, Indian friends would be eating Indian food. I wouldn't care for it. So I'd sort of lost that taste. And it's only years later that I came back to it thinking, oh my God, I actually crave it so much and it brings me so much joy to eat my mom's food. Whereas for many years, I was just on that whole, no, this will make me fat. No, I can't have any oil in my curry because... And I'd gone on that whole like fad of feeding myself with like low fat things, which gave me no nourishment and not understanding why I was having these energy crushes because I just completely let go of freshly cooked food. When you make, when you bake something for someone to show that you care, even if it's something very simple, why does that have such an effect on people, Lucy? Well, I think the idea that someone has taken the trouble, taken the time maybe to buy the ingredients or to put it all together, it shows that you've devoted that time to that person, to that guest. There's like a, they're, doing, they're giving you a gift in the future. And again, I think baking in particular has that connotation of it being a treat. So yes, you go to someone's house for any kind of meal. It's always something special. But if they've made some biscuits or they've made some muffins or a, maybe a really big cake with you know <coughs> chocolate drops on top or something, it just feels like the whole experience is an occasion as opposed to just the two of you getting together for a cup of tea, which in itself is a really lovely thing to do. But it kind of makes it feel even more special. Yeah. Because food is at the heart of the big lunch and it's a great unifier and it can be a a brilliant icebreaker. We live in an age 
where there are plenty of excuses not to talk to each other. So those icebreakers can be very important, I think, because, you know, the Big Lunch has done a lot of research into how some people can go for three days without having a face-to-face conversation. The research has shown that actually families that do try to have at least one meal a week maybe the Sunday lunch or the Sunday evening meal, where everyone is gathered around the table, phones are switched off, maybe put in another room so that there are no distractions, that actually you're very present, can really improve communication between the generations, uh, which again is something that's you know sorely lacking at the moment. Um, you, you're really paying attention to what people are saying to you. And you're But nevertheless, you're also having this nourishment, this literal nourishment of the meal as well. And therefore the food becomes part of your existence as opposed to an enemy. People develop a much healthier relationship to food if they can eat happily around the table together. So the psychological benefits of it are really high. Some of this research by the Big Lunch Fund, 44% of us have never had a neighbour over for, for a drink or some food and a quarter of the UK don't host because they don't want to put on a show and that they're worried that they're going to be judged harshly. So Mira, have you got any tips for people who might be worried that their cooking is going to be unfairly judged by, you know, neighbours or people in the street? Or yes, absolutely. Of the I think that's... That, I actually was scared of cooking things before because I think gr- growing up, when you're part of an Indian family, they're very critical about, you know the garlic in this wasn't cooked properly or the cumin seeds haven't been fried to to the extent that they should. My grandfather was very particular. So I was always like, well, if I'm going to cook a curry, but does that contain onions or does it contain this? And if I don't put this in, then is it really a curry? And so I think I I grew up with that. So I tended to not make these things. And it's only now that I realise experimenting and finding your own flavours is absolutely okay. And if everything differs, if one house to the other differs, even if it's the same curry, that's totally fine as well. It's not a point of criticism. And I think the judge, the judging does put, put people off a lot, especially, I think, in the UK, because they do feel judged. Because I think sometimes when you don't comment on food, so if, I, if I'm eating something at somebody's house and I don't comment on it, they immediately think, oh, is it good? Is it not? She might not like it. And that's why she's not saying it. And so I think complimenting, firstly, is really important. And secondly, not being put off because we are in an age where we can Google things and find things. And if something doesn't taste quite right, we can go and buy a sauce and just add it in. And I think there are these little tricks, even if, you know, something isn't fully homemade, let's not use that as an excuse not to get together. Um, and yeah, because you can actually just yeah. get, you know, dial in for some really tasty pizzas or become well known amongst your friends for your salad dressings. I mean, it doesn't have to be a really sophisticated dish, but if you have got some little added ingredient, um, I, I lived with a, a girl who used to make salad dressings and she always put a splash of milk in and it kind of made the dressing mm. more creamy. It's a tiny little thing, but somehow it meant that her dressings coated the leaves in a slightly different way and everything was more tasty. And I just, if you can get known for something like that, it doesn't have to be a big deal. I think, oh, oh yeah. sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think people are daunted by the number of different recipes out there. They don't know what to follow, who to follow, mm-hmm. which cookbook to cook from. I mean, I think it's just looking at things that appeal to you. And if something calls out to you when you're watching a programme, you know, write that one thing down because that's... Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was having I was having a pedicure just before Christmas and they um, and there was a TV screen on and they had a recipe, which is in effect frozen cream with roasted apricots and stuff like that. And I was literally writing it down and made it the following yeah. weekend. Uh, because so sometimes these little tricks... It just, exactly. It just 
piqued my interest. As a, as a chef, I sometimes get, well, I'm, I'm not technically a chef, but I do get a lot of cookbooks from friends in the industry and recently had like a pile of five um, new cookbooks. And, you know, the people I know, so I want to cook from them. But I'm also almost put off because I look at these. I'm like, oh, my God, what do I make? So it's just I spent, you know, five dedicated minutes or 10 dedicated minutes going through one of the books and fa- found one that was really simple, that was similar to something I've made before. And I knew exactly how to do it rather than trying something that, oh, my God, I need to get those ingredients. If I don't get that thing, then it may not work. And, and- I haven't got the right shaped tin. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just not being put off or finding the thing that works for you because you just know that you've made something similar before like that and you know that it tastes good and you can just flavour it with your own flavours and that's fine. So for someone who hasn't had people around and might be feeling slightly daunted by it, one of your tips would be to start small. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I have a go-to recipe, which to be fair has only come into my life in about the last two months, but one of my neighbours had me around for supper and it was this she called it zucchini hummus so basically courgette hummus but it doesn't have any chickpeas so it's not as heavy so you basically pan fry some courgettes and then in a blender you bung all of those in with some lemon juice lots of garlic but obviously that's to taste um and some tahini and some salt and pepper and things like that so like very few ingredients it takes five minutes to cook but goodness me it's disproportionately delicious but also it's very unusual because it then gets the conversation going about oh this isn't like normal hummus and how do you make it every single person who's come to my house has taken a photo of the recipe because they like it so much so I just feel really smug and cocky (laughs) I've got this great recipe but it's so simple that's the funny thing isn't it some recipes are so simple they almost feel ashamed to kind of pass them off and say, oh, yeah, well, I, I did make this because it, it feels yeah. almost too amazing. What other things can make people feel at ease when they've got people coming over? I, I think it is very much about leaving perfectionism at the door. I think it's about recognising that these people have accepted your invitation in truth because they want to see you they do kind of want to be fed and they don't necessarily want to leave going hungry. But they just want to see you and hang out with you and therefore they don't want to arrive and have you stressed in the kitchen running up and they're in one room with the drinks and you're still in the kitchen trying to make something impressive it's actually about taking the pressure off yourself and recognizing that they will still love you even if you present them with shop-bought cakes or shop-bought dips and chips exactly and i think also sometimes people think oh well, i can't make something as basic as baked potatoes if someone's coming over but actually you can make that gourmet you can you know make the baked potatoes have a couple of salads from the deli that you've bought chop up some cucumbers put some lime and I don't know toss them in sesame seeds and something some cumin seeds that are fried in the pan and then have a topping like a coriander chutney you can have like a yogurt sauce and something else and you know, within five minutes, you've got this whole spread and it elevates your jacket potato from just baked beans and cheese yeah. to like lots of <laughs> toppings and a baked, baked potato. It's and not, I've never, that's never occurred to me, baked potatoes. When I mean, I would around. do maybe baked sweet potatoes because I love sweet potatoes, but you can have an array. You can have those potatoes, the sweet potatoes and then some salad and that just, people love potatoes. So would that be your go-to thing, your simple, quick meal if you have um, people coming around? I would possibly do that. I've not done that, but I think it's a great idea if somebody doesn't know what else to make. I think it's such a simple thing. I think I would do that. I have baked potatoes and sweet potatoes and put something on the side, but I usually make the salads myself or the chutneys and the yogurts I'll do myself. Um, But there's nothing wrong with buying, um, you know, a tzatziki tzatziki and a hummus and that can be your topping. And usually what I say is, you know, try and change 
the flavors of the topping. So, for example, you can put some, like I said, fried cumin seeds on the hummus. So the hummus tastes different or blend some peas into it. So it looks a bit green. Well, I was just thinking the same thing. Another thing that you can do is make sure that you take some of those products out and put them on your crockery. Exactly. Because it is amazing how much more people enjoy supermarket hummus when it's in a bowl made of china (laughs) and that wow this is actually really amazing and they almost look at you as if you've tried to trick them but in fact no you've just made sure that the presentation is also very pretty or very appealing because so much about our visual stimulation is part of our eating process it actually it needs to look there's a reason why we don't normally eat blue cakes or blue icing or there's a reason why some people think guacamole isn't very nice because it's green i obviously think it is amazing but you know if something looks visually appealing so you make your hummus and then as Mm. you say you put some lovely pine nuts on top a little sprinkle of sumac or something and then that again it i loved your word it elevates the product and and people feel cared for so, Mira, do, do you have people around a lot at your house? Yeah, I've had a lot of gatherings. Um, I do love hosting people um, and I love whipping things up and experimenting. But I've grown up in a family with like so many people, you know, there's 16 of us usually when we get together or more. Um, and so once a week, usually, if everyone's in the country, then we'll get together and um, convene with food around food 16 yeah so what's, like my, wow, what's the cleanup like oh yeah that's that's a point <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of us and I think I grew up like that and I sort of missed that sense of togetherness so actually throwing a slightly bigger party um I do I do get a little bit on edge if it's like you know in Christmas I did I invited you know maybe 30 40 people over and I was just making canopies and I did got a little bit nervous I didn't know exactly what I was going to do and I'm quite last minute like that so I whipped it up all last minute because I'd just come back from summer so I roasted some um, really small peppers you know the kind of the ones that look like look like bullet um, chilies but oh, they're yeah. like peppers so I, I roasted lots of them red and yellow and, and then I sliced them and filled them up with this quinoa mix that I'd made and just made that quinoa mix really really flavorful you know um, and then had them on a plate and then had a um, couple of other things. I can't remember exactly what. And sweet potato. And it just works because you can literally make anything bite size and canapé like. Um, and most people just want something flavorful and not for it to look perfect. It doesn't need to look perfect. So mm-hmm. I think that's the part where you're just like, oh, I haven't garnished it properly. Or it doesn't look like it's something that you would, you know, you just have to toss a few, I don't know, coriander leaves on something and it. So if there were 16 of you when you were growing up, is that something then that you went away from as you were growing up? Is that something that you sort of had a gap from, those yes. big family gatherings? Yeah, did you miss I, that? I, I did miss that. And I don't think I realised I missed that. I kind of enjoyed my alone time as well. But I travelled a lot and I was living abroad. But, it, you know, there were so many times when I was sort of alone, um, not with anyone. And I just didn't really have that many friends abroad because I was never living in really one place. So I'd find myself just by myself and my husband travelled a lot of the time. So I was just having dinner alone. And I I think the problem with eating alone and not being in a good space of mind is that it makes you think more. And looking back on it, I think I, that's what I really did miss because that brings me a lot of joy. And without knowing it, I'd become used to it as well. Um, as much as I crave my alone time and going away from it all, I think I miss that sense of togetherness and... Um, and chatter and conversation. Yeah. And food brings people together. It, exactly. Well, um, there we have it. Food brings people together, but I, I can't say it in any simpler set of terms than that. 
If you'd like to take part in The Big Lunch, you can find out more at thebiglunch.com. Also on the website, you'll find a simple and delicious recipe that Mira has kindly shared with us for quinoa spiced peppers, which we hope you enjoy at your big lunch. We hope you've enjoyed the Big Lunch podcast and that we've inspired you to explore ways to connect with your community during lockdown and beyond. Mm-hmm.